0: Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Unwritten rules are very serious. When somebody breaks an unwritten rule, it might cause you to Do a double take. Maybe it might cause you to raise your eyebrows a little bit. You know some of these unwritten rules. Don't propose. Do a wedding proposal on somebody else's wedding day. Just let their day be their day. Another one that you're familiar with is if you borrow something from someone else, you should return it in just as good a shape, if not in better shape, than when you received it. If you give somebody a tool or you let them use your lawnmower and they give it back to you and the tool's broken or it's dirty or the lawnmower is out of gas, it's going to give you pause and you're going to raise your eyebrows and you're going to wish you could say to them, hey, you know, this law, this applies to you too. The only problem is you can't accuse them of breaking a law or a rule because the law or the rule is unwritten. You know, God has a set of laws, a set of rules, we call them the Ten Commandments, the summary of God's moral law for all people. Yet there are some people who act as if these written laws of God, the Ten Commandments, are really just optional, really just unwritten rules, sort of like suggestions. But the fact that God has written them down literally in stone means that they are for you and they are for me and there's no getting around it. However, Jesus makes it very clear in the gospel reading for today, that God does not give us his law for his benefit. He doesn't like it when we are pressed by the, crushed by the pressure of his law. No, he gives us his law for our benefit. One of the written laws of God is the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The Sabbath day was the day of the week when the Israelites, all the people and all their animals, would rest from any hard physical labor. We saw that spelled out for us in the first reading in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It was a day of rest, and it was a good thing. But it wasn't just about physical rest, The Sabbath day was also a time to reflect and remember God's faithfulness, his goodness to the entire nation of Israel was when they would remember how God delivered them from the land of Egypt in slavery and brought them to freedom in the promised land. So the Sabbath day was about two things. One, physical rest, and two, remembering God's goodness. But the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, they seemed to forget about the second part of the Sabbath, that it was also to remember God's goodness. To the Pharisees, it seemed like the most important thing to them was avoiding any hard physical manual labor at all costs, no matter what. They saw themselves as God's little helpers to you know, keep the common folk from even getting close to breaking God's third commandment. So what they would do is they would create an entire set of extra laws that would serve to sort of surround God's law to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And some of their extra laws were things like, well, you can only walk a certain distance on the Sabbath, just less than three quarters of a mile. You can't start a fire. You can't put a fire out, even if it's about to cause great damage. Well, because that would be hard physical labor. They also said you can't perform any medical procedures unless it was a life or death situation. So I'm sorry, son, that broken bone is going to have to wait until tomorrow. Those were the laws of the Pharisees, the extra laws. And they also said that anybody who disobeyed these extra laws could be stoned to death. The Pharisees thought that their laws were written as if they were set in stone for you and you and you, for everybody to follow, when really, these laws did not have any clout before God. They were kind of like unwritten rules, sort of like suggestions. But because they thought they were written, you can understand some of their frustrations and their anger when it seemed like Jesus and his disciples were breaking the laws of the Sabbath. As they're walking through the grain or through the field, picking grain to eat, they yelled out in frustration and anger, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And with that rhetorical question, they're kind of pointing the finger at Jesus and his disciples saying, hey, this law is for you too, Jesus. There's a couple problems. The first is, like I just said, these laws that they created, they don't have any clout before God. And two, just like Jesus would point out to them, their laws and their attitudes about the Sabbath were off. They completely missed the point of rules, of God's law. Jesus would explain to them that the Sabbath was made for the benefit of mankind. Man was not created to obey the Sabbath law at all costs. That wasn't the purpose. It's kind of like this. If a woman is going into labor and her husband is going to bring her to the hospital, what is he going to be most concerned about as he's driving to the hospital? Is he going to be more concerned with the speed limit? Or is he going to be more concerned about getting there as soon as possible so that the baby is not born in the back seat? Of course, the the husband, the father of the child is going to do whatever it takes to make sure that the mother is safe, that the child is safe, even if it means breaking the speed limit. Because why does the speed limit exist? The speed limit exists to ensure the safety of all people who are on the road. And in this case, it just so happens that the safest thing to do would be to go above the speed limit, to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees that they're treating this law as if it's rigid. They're missing the point because none of us would tell that husband as he's bringing his wife to the hospital to slow down and follow the law. We would encourage him to go. But the way the Pharisees approached the law was just wrong. To follow it at all costs was missing, was missing the point. You know, really, it comes down to a couple of things. The Pharisees worked so hard and put so much effort into making sure that they were resting on the Sabbath and that everyone else was resting on the Sabbath, that that effort in and of itself was kind of considered work, missing the point of the Sabbath altogether. And this is is the worst part. God had given the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he had given the people of Israel everything they needed in this Sabbath rest. True physical and spiritual rest, yet the Pharisees heard the, the law, they heard what God was saying, and they thought to themselves, and they decided that it wasn't good enough. That if they truly wanted rest, they were going to have to do more, they were going to have to earn it. You know, there's plenty of you here who have a to do list that's getting longer and longer. There's appointments to go to. There's maintenance around the house that needs to get done. There's plans and vacations for the summer that we're in the middle of planning. And it seems to almost be more work than what it's worth trying to tie up all the details. It's not a restful thought thinking of all the things we have to do. It's not a restful thought thinking of all the work that awaits us on Monday morning. It's not a restful thought to think about the new physical ailments that seem to appear weekly or monthly as the old ailments even get worse and worse. We have all sorts of things, issues, stress piling on top of us, and what do we do in order to find rest from our lists and from our duties? We get to work. We start working, we start checking things off the to-do list, we go to the appointments, we meet with the doctor, we go to physical therapy. We get everything set because we know that if we truly want rest, we've got to make sure that everything is finished. Because if things are still lingering over us, if we still have that to-do list, and we still got to go to the doctor, and we still have all these things that we need to do, rest is going to be really hard to come by. And so we do whatever we can to make sure that we can achieve rest. That's how we operate. Rest is something you achieve, something you earn, and that thought—rest is something you achieve—you can understand how that would spill over then into our pursuit for spiritual rest. Everybody wants, everybody wants rest. They want to be at peace with God. They want to feel at rest. But just like the Pharisees, there's something inside of you and me that makes us think that in order to receive rest, we've got to do something. We have to earn it. Maybe we think rest is not going to come to me unless I act a certain way or speak a certain way. Rest is not going to come to me unless I come to church looking the right way or uh, acting the right way. Church is not, or rest is not going to come to me unless I volunteer more at church or I offer my services at church or anywhere else. Rest is not going to be mine until the day that I become the person I want to be, maybe a better husband or a better wife, a mother or a father. It's not going to come to me. Rest is not going to come to me until I'm the better son or daughter or friend. There's something inside of you and me that thinks rest is something we earn. And that exposes the the Pharisee inside of your heart and inside of mine. That we earn rest by adding rules. Extra rules. But where do these rules come from? And what are these rules other than made up, unwritten rules we have created in our hearts and in our minds. They didn't come from God because God does not give us rules or laws so that by following them we may receive rest. No. God has already given you rest and it does not come through his law. His rest comes to you through one thing. His son Jesus Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath. That word Sabbath, it it means rest. So when we call Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath, it's like we're calling him the Lord of rest. And Jesus is the Lord of rest because he takes all the unwritten rules that you and I have created in our own hearts and in our own minds, and he brings them with himself to the cross, and he nails them to the cross to die there. So that we don't have to worry about all the extra things we need to do in order to find rest. And he even takes God's written laws, the Ten Commandments. And he follows them perfectly for you and me in our place. So he too brings the written law of God, the Ten Commandments, with himself to the cross. And he nails them there so that they die there with him. So that rest is not found in God's law. It's not found in your ability to do what God says. Rest is found only in Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Because he gives you a rest that you don't have to work for. He gave you rest that he worked for, for you. He gives you a rest that you don't have to hold on to or or worry about losing because the rest that he gives you is an eternal rest. And it's never going to leave you. It comes from Jesus. But that does not mean that the law serves no purpose. The law still has a valuable part to play in your life and in mine. The Pharisees, they thought they knew everything there was to know about God's law. They thought they were the experts. But Jesus showed them just how clueless they really were. Maybe a Sabbath or two later, there was another showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees. They were in a synagogue and it was full to the brim. And people were watching, waiting to see if Jesus would, hand, would heal the man with the shriveled hand. Because remember, on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to perform any medical procedure unless it was life-threatening. The man's hand was not a life-or-death situation, so they were waiting to see what Jesus did. And so Jesus calls the man up to the front and before everybody, and he speaks to the Pharisees, kind of pretending like they were the experts in the law that they thought they were. And he says to them, What is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to kill? As we look at the text, the text tells us that they didn't know how to respond. They said nothing. They could not deny the fact that Jesus healing this man's hand was a good thing. At least they could not deny it publicly because God's law, as Jesus showed the Pharisees, is only about good things. God's law is only good for you and for me. Yet that's not always the way we think about laws. When I say the word law, it's doubtful that happy thoughts come to mind. When I hear the word law, I think of something that restricts me, something that hinders me from what I want to do. I think of a law that, when I think of laws, I think of something that tells me what I have to do because I have a fear of some sort of consequence for breaking the law. And if that's how we think about earthly laws, that too will spill over into how we view God's law. Don't gossip. Don't drink too much. Keep the marriage bed pure. If I don't know that, God's law is good that's going to sound kind of restrictive. It's going to sound a little outdated. It's going to sound like God doesn't really have my best interest in mind but because you and I know that God's law is only good and because God has given us his only son to be the rest from the law we know and we have to conclude that God's law is only good for you and for me. Only good. You know Anarchy is the word that we use to describe lawlessness. Nobody wants to live in a place of anarchy. It'd be an awful existence. Defending yourself uh, from people who want to come and take your food. You need to steal food if you want to be alive. There's no prosperity. There's no wealth. Everyone is equally as poor. Nobody wants to live in anarchy. God does not want your soul to live in anarchy. And so he gives you his law because... He knows that you need it. Nobody would raise a child with zero rules, no laws in the house. Because if somebody raised a child with no rules or laws in the house, then how would that child learn that actions have consequences? Who would teach him that lesson if his parents won't? I'll tell you. The law, the police, the judge or prison would teach that boy that There are consequences to actions. But at that point, it's too late. God does not want to wait until it is too late for your soul. So he gives you his law because he knows that you need it, yes. But he also gives you his law to bless you because it is good for you. Is it a coincidence That some of the happiest, most joyful, and content people in this world are Christians who love God's law. I mean, think about it. People are happy and blessed when they follow God's law, not from a place of guilt, but a place of thankfulness. That the law is not something they have to do, but something they want to do, that they get to do. God blesses people when they follow his law, not from a place of stress, but from a place of rest that Jesus has fulfilled all the requirements of the law for you. So no, I don't think it is a coincidence that some of the happiest people are people who love God's law because that's why God gave the law for good, to bless you. You know, Autumn, Sam, and Kate, there will be a time in your life when people tell you that God's law, if you haven't heard this already, that God's law... Does not have your best interest in mind that it's restrictive, that it keeps you from doing what you want to be doing. But just remember just who it is that gave you this law to follow. The person who, the God who gave you this law to follow is not some heavenly father waiting for you to break his law so that he can punish you. The God who gave you this law is not some tyrannical leader who makes laws for the sake of power and control, the God who gives you this law is the God who loves you. The God who loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you. So this law is God's gift to you. Yesterday you presented your examination essays, your confirmation essays in front of your families and your pastors. And in your essays you made a promise to yourself And you made a promise to God to be faithful to him, which is a wonderful thing. But always remember that your rest between you and God does not come from your ability to keep God's law. It does not come from your church attendance. It does not come from your faithfulness to God. Your rest comes because of God's faithfulness to you because you didn't come to catechism class for the last two years every single week because it was something you just had to do. No, you came to catechism because that was the place where you received rest from God, where you heard about what Jesus has done for you, how he has kept the law for you. And what do we say about confirmation? Confirmation is not graduation, which means God will continue to give you rest as you continue to learn and study and grow in his word for the rest of your lives. So yes, this law is for you. It's written in stone for you, which means the blessings that God gives from his law are certain, they're solid, and set in stone as well. But as great as God's law is, and as, as great as a, of a gift that is as it is, true rest does not come from you following it. True rest comes from Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Your true rest comes from Jesus, the Lord of rest himself. Amen.